0: I'd heard about this teacher, Jesus, from Nazareth, I was told. He did lots of teaching, had a bunch of people following him. For me, though, what excited me most was I'd heard he'd healed people. I didn't have specific details, but there was talk of people coming to him for healing and being healed. I knew it was unlikely. Everyone I'd ever asked said it was impossible, but surely it was worth a shot. My life as it was wasn't really worth living. I'd had decades of illness, getting worse every day, getting uglier every day, more pain every day. And worse than all this was the loneliness. Well, the loneliness of the shame. Living away from everyone else, put in a ghetto with others like me, all sick, all broken, all just waiting to die. And whenever we did go anywhere near anyone else, Maybe to scavenge for some food or to find something to build a better shelter. The convention was I had to shout, unclean, unclean, so that people would avoid me. me. The shame of seeing someone look up, see who I was and quickly scuttle away. Or dive out the way scared of me or even angry at me for being near them. I was broken. Life couldn't get any worse. So what was the point in not asking I'd heard this man, Jesus, was amazing. Some even said he might be the promised Messiah. Well, if that was the case, the scripture says he would come and heal, even heal the lepers. So I, I saw him coming down from the mountain and I, I followed at a distance. Some people near the back of the crowd sneered at me. They spat at me. Even. They sped to get away. But eventually the crowd slowed down. I plucked up the courage to make my move. I moved from the back into the crowd. My my rattle, the bell, which was warning people I was unclean, let people know I was coming. And they dived out the way. It was like the parting of the Red Sea. Eventually, I saw him. This man, in, in some ways, pretty unassuming. But I could tell it was him. I fell at his feet and I stuttered out the word I'd practiced. Lord, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. You see, I knew he could. I was sure of that. But why would he want to? Why would he want to even be near a filthy wretch like me? And then he looked down at me. No one looks at me. They all avoid eye contact, as if even looking at me could make them unclean. I hadn't been looked at in years, but he looked at me warmly. And then he did something I'll never forget. He reached out and he touched me. It was like it all happened in slow motion. He touched me. I haven't felt the touch of another human in decades. The the warmth, the tender, gentle touch. I can still remember the feeling now. This man, this teacher, risking himself becoming unclean, treated me not as anyone else ever had. He touched me. And he said, I am willing, be clean. And immediately I was healed. Instantly I could feel my stubby, rotten fingers grow back. My pockmarked marked face restore itself. My aching, itchy legs felt like new again. I was healed. But what continued to amaze me was that this man touched me. That's the story of the Leper. But mainly, as we'll see, it, it's the story which shows us the amazing compassion of Jesus, the amazing love of Jesus. I love it. I love this story. Hence why it's the first in our gospel mixtape. This story in Matthew, it comes just off the back of the Sermon on the Mount. And we saw in 7 verse 29, just when John read it, how the crowds have been amazed at Jesus' authority of teaching. And the man who taught with authority now healed with authority but not only with authority, but with real love and tenderness. Maybe if you follow Jesus today, just stop with me now, and in the midst of this story, hopefully while I was reading that just then, just worship Jesus. This is who we worship. This is what he's like. And if you don't follow him yet, you're so welcome, but you may be thinking, it's a nice story. I'm not sure about it though, Johnny. Why can I keep encouraging you to look at this man, Jesus? With acts and claims like this, he just can't be put into the nice teacher box, can he? Now notice exactly what Jesus did here. Jesus could have just said a word. He could have said, be clean. He does it elsewhere. He could have just said, you're healed. But he didn't. He touched the man. The man who, as I said, would, would have been touched in years. You did not touch a leper. It's a contagious disease, highly contagious. But he knew that he needed to show that the totally unclean leper was now completely clean, not only physically, but also relationally. And so the first thing we see in this passage about Jesus, oh, I stopped clicking, didn't I, is we see his compassion. We see his compassion. And secondly, we see his authority. Remember, uh, the crowd had heard his authority of teaching, as in we don't, Matthew's arranged his gospel in a deliberate way, but there's a bulk of teaching established just here in the Sermon on the Mount, as we call it. And now they see his authority in action. Uh, this uncurable disease, cured. Jesus doesn't just say be healed though, he says be clean. And that's really deliberate. As you maybe heard in the story, leprosy made you an outcast, a pariah. Leprosy was awful. Contagious degenerative skin disease. I, I would show you a picture, but I don't think it's pleasant. Go and look at it later if you'd like to. Um, I, I was told that a story that in India, a family conducts a funeral before any family member goes and gets sent to a leper colony. So they, a family conducts a funeral for anyone who contracts leprosy before they send them away because they're not going to see them again. They don't want to see them again. It wasn't just physically awful though. It had dramatic spiritual, social consequences. In Leviticus 13, 14, remember we were in Leviticus about nine months ago, we, we see God's law for his people and leprosy is singled out as a disease, which if people had it, they were to be cut off from God's people. Cut off socially, cast out of the camp, cast out spiritually. And the laws, as we saw when we were in Leviticus, were put in place by God to highlight the reality that disease, sickness and death are part of our general human condition. And these are part of our human condition because of our rebellion against the creator. And the law was put in place, and, and these in particular is a reminder to God's people so that they grasp this, that all is not right with the world. I'm sure we can all know that ourselves, can't we, when we just think into our own lives. Sickness and death are reminders of that this world is broken. So now we see that the man who is seen as defiled, unable to be amongst God's people, would have been living in his own colony elsewhere, worshipped God at the temple, he's able to do that because he's not only healed, he's cleaned. If this story was deliberately chosen by Matthew to kick off a, a period of teaching, if you go on and read, and we'll see it next week, with Matt a little bit more of the sort of healing stories of Jesus. We can see Matthew outlining Jesus came to heal all people. We saw it with the, the faith of the centurion, where the centurion's servant healed. We see it with Peter's mother-in-law. We see it elsewhere. He came to heal all sorts of people. If he could heal and cleanse the leper, if he could restore the leper socially and spiritually... And the encouragement for us is that he can heal and cleanse us as well from our sin. He didn't just come for the, the good or the well or the Jews. He came for everyone. That's the first encouragement here. Notice the word as well. I don't know if you noticed it, he, cleaned, he healed him immediately. Jesus' healing was total and it was instant. We, we see in the creation story that God speaks and it happens and it's the same here. This man, Jesus, was not just a good teacher, was he? With markers like this, we see he was God on earth. We see he came to rescue his people. He taught the talk and now he's walking the walk. The promised king, who the people of God were looking for, had come. And we get to the end of this mini section of three headings. In eight verse 17, we get this. It says this in chapter 8, verse 17. This was done to fulfil what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. He took up our infirmities and bore our diseases. The promised one had come. And we know it, don't we? That Jesus' mission is ultimately fulfilled in him taking our sin upon himself upon the cross, making himself ostracized, making himself like the leper so that we'd be made clean. That is what Jesus is like. I had a friend at university uh, called Daphid or Daph, Uh, we were mates from hockey, he was far better than me so we normally only got chatting at socials um, when we actually bumped into each other at the pub he'd come from a Christian home he wasn't himself living or trusting Jesus at the moment, he knew I was so he started chatting to me a little bit he was intrigued about a few guys in the hockey club who did follow Jesus, he'd heard about us and I remember him saying something like this in in spite of his interest, he said "Ah, Johnny, I've, I've done too much wrong to be able to be a Christian too much wrong to it Christian. That's what Daph literally said to me in the pub, I remember it. And having seen this story, I wonder whether you can work out what, what we could say to Daph, what hopefully I think I did say to Daph. Well, Daph, you're right to recognise what you're like. In many ways, you are unclean. But Daph, Jesus is the only one who can make you the totally unclean clean. Not just a little bit. Not just to make you respectable, but totally, completely clean. No one is beyond God's reach. The leper is literally cast out and yet made clean and restored. If you're sitting here today and you follow Jesus, that is what has happened. He does it with compassion, he does it with total authority. But let's let's just look very briefly at the leper. Uh, The leper recognized his need for help, didn't he? He saw that he recognized his need for help and he came to one. Who was compassionate and one who was able to help him? Um, we've been at a wedding this weekend, and so this morning we we're having breakfast at B and B. Anyone who has a toddler, spent any time with a toddler, uh, knows they can get pretty determined to do things themselves. Uh, we were just chatting about it before I went with we, Vinny. Seriously, um, Dunks, lovely little Dunks, is no exception. I don't think Caroline's come in because he's probably playing this game at the moment. Um, After a series of meltdowns, he uh, was sitting on Caroline's knee. Uh, We're both pretty exasperated at this point. Uh, We bring him a slice of toast. And he's finally decided that he wants a slice of toast. Having wanted a toast, not wanted a toast, wanted a toast, not wanted a toast. Uh, And then the lovely words came out of his mouth as we began to butter and put jam on his toast. No, Daddy, Duncan, do it. Oh, seriously. Come on, dude. We'll let you do it. About five minutes later, he just about opened the jam. Um, somehow buttered about an eighth of the bread and he was sat basically eating lukewarm dry bread and a number of times i kept asking can daddy help can daddy help you no know, dad, daddy definitely could not help Money even couldn't help which was rare um, and the reason i put this, i didn't have this section in there but i put it in because it just struck me because my head was in the store Duncan, unlike Duncan, the leper recognised his need. He didn't just sit there and go, I'm a lost cause. He said, "When I need help. He recognised he needed help. And he came to the one who wanted to help and who could. I could have helped. I could have opened that job for him. It's nowhere near the same. But it just gives you a picture of the way, in some ways, we can all be unlike the leper, not recognise we need help, and all like the leper, and realise we need help. Finally, we see how Jesus fulfils The law. Notice to me, verse four, what Jesus says. Verse four of chapter eight, he says, see that you don't tell anyone, but go show yourself to a priest, offer the gift Moses commanded as testimony to them. Uh, it seems a bit odd, doesn't it? You might go, why on earth did Jesus say don't tell anyone? Now, this is a theme in the gospels. It's a theme particularly in Matthew, I think we see, where Jesus is not wanting people to know who he is yet. He's particularly not wanting them to know what he's, he's not. He's not just a miracle worker we've seen this his miracles have meaning their purpose he was showing who he was he was showing as the promised king and so what Jesus does in that sentence is really interesting he tells the leper go show yourself to the priest offer the gift Moses commanded as a testimony to them now the first bit is quite simple he's basically saying now you've been cleansed follow the law which is laid out in Leviticus go and present yourself to the priest and so the Jewish readers of Matthew's gospel, this would have been great to hear. Jesus was not breaking the law. He was calling on a man to go obey it. That's great if you're a Jewish listener in here. But the next phrase, as a testimony to them, was really interesting. But what on earth does he mean? You can imagine leper, can't you, heading off to see the priest. It's like skipping his step. He's probably taken off his bell, which he used to have to around his ankle. He's sitting in the waiting room for the priest, flicking through magazines priest would have seen the man, done a double take, go, what on earth are you doing here? and trying to send him away. Get out. Until he would have seen that he was healed, he would have looked at him and, and he would have inspected him, seen he was clean. He would have asked for leper. How on earth did this happen? Who did this? And the man would have told him all about right, Jesus. Jesus sent the man to be a testimony to him, to declare to the priest and those watching on that the king had come. The one who was promised, we saw that. One who's promised to heal the sick the one who's promised to heal the lepers to raise the dead who would come and ultimately die in our place take on our ultimate sickness so we could be restored he has come chapters five to seven what we said is the sermon on the mount show us the perfect standard of the law jesus calls on us to follow it every iota of it but if you read it back through we realize none of us can follow it
1: None of us can obey
0: the law perfectly. It's a wonderful picture of what life should look like for those who put their trust in Jesus. But so often we know that we can't be in the presence of a perfect God. The law cannot make us clean. Nothing we do can make us right with God. And Jesus saying here in this wonderful story, in his actions and in his words, that he can, he alone can. A leper, the living embodiment of judgment, has been healed. He's been cleansed. And Jesus. Himself, later on in the gospel, deals with our failure to keep the law. He fulfills it. And as he sends the leper to the priest, he's saying that the one who can perfectly keep it has come. The king has come. So the call for us is to trust in him. For he alone can make the unclean clean. Here's Daff. Daff wrote an email to me a few years later. We'd lost touch after university, um, having spent a bit of time chatting. And he got back in touch with me a few years by email. This is what he said, he said, Johnny, it's taken me quite a few years of basically being an idiot and making lots of bad decisions. and then trying to get my act together, but just falling back into my old ways to basically be where I am now. I've been over in the United States the past eight months and I first thought it'd be a great chance to get away from my uni type life, really make a fresh start, get stuck into a church and things. Once again, this didn't happen. I ended up just doing my own thing. Until a few months ago before Christmas, And afterwards, a number of things happened that basically just completely took me back and put me in a position where I really was brought right back down to the ground and realised I really couldn't do it on my own anymore. Church service finished one Sunday. I went in and spoke to one of the pastors, and before I could even say anything, I was just completely overcome. I was crying and couldn't do anything to stop it. I honestly don't know why I was trying to do things on my own for so long. Now I can so easily see that God's way really is best. And all my decisions and problems, instead of trying to solve them myself, I just offer up to him. It's so much better. You see in verse 2 what the leper asked Jesus and how he asked it? Lord, he recognised who Jesus was. He's in charge. He's God. If you're willing, you can make me clean. See how Daff recognised that as well? He knows Jesus has the ability to heal. He doesn't say, Lord, heal me. He says, Lord, if you're willing, heal me. He knows Jesus is able. He's asking him to use his power to heal him. If he is willing to heal him, the outcast, the leper. And that's what faith is, isn't it? The leper trusted Jesus, was who he said he was, trusted he could solve his greatest problem. So he came to him and asked. There was absolutely nothing the leper could do to heal himself. Nothing anyone could do to heal him. Only Jesus could heal him. And the leper, like Daph. Unlike Duncan with the butter, saw his utter need for Jesus. Saw his desperate state, recognized that only Jesus could sort him out, that Jesus wasn't just talk, couldn't just be dismissed as a good teacher. So the challenge is will we? Greg had it in his prayers earlier. Will we recognize that without Jesus, we're an outcast? Will we recognize that only Jesus can offer our solutions to death, both physically and spiritually? Will we live in now, for those of us who have trusted Jesus, in a state of dependence? There's some years in this room of following Jesus. There's some experience. But I think if you chat to them, they'll go, "Nah, no, I need to keep depending on Jesus every day. It leads us to pray. It leads us to come to God in his word. It leads us to keep coming to church. We recognise we need others. But we'd be encouraged as well that even the most impossible of our mates, the one we think of and go, he can never become a Christian. For me, that was Dad. The first time I met him, he vomited all over my shoes. Absolutely hammered. That was Daff. But he could do it for Daff, and praise God, he did. No one, not even an outcast leper, is outside of God's ability to be cleansed. So that's looking at Jesus. Finally, just really briefly, let's look at the crowds. And it's really interesting when we look through chapter 8 how it's possible to almost follow Jesus. And this may be a bit more uncomfortable for us as we look at this really briefly. They've been following Jesus around, they've been hearing his teaching, they've been seeing his miracles. And in chapter seven, at the end of it, he said a few interesting things to challenge those people who are watching on, and maybe it's challenging for us here today. Chapter seven, verse twenty one, he says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the ones who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Twenty four in the story of the wise and foolish builders, he says, Everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who builds his house upon the rock. Do we see the challenge of Jesus here? He's saying, and he's saying to the crowd, and he's saying to us, don't just enjoy my stories. Don't just read them, or in the crowd's case, see my miracles and leave it there. No, no, be like the leper, have faith. Put your trust in me, your full, desperate trust in me. The leper could have just stayed in my and gone, oh, I've heard there's a miracle worker around that diamond a dozen. I'm just going to stay where I am. No. And we see when we look at the crowds, as you follow the crowds going through, and it's easy, we always like to put ourselves in the gospel story as the hero, don't we? But if you look around at the crowds, we can probably see a lot of ourselves in them, how it's possible to almost follow Jesus. So we see, firstly, we can see how it's almost possible to follow Jesus by following without your heart, following your heart without your heart. So The crowds are chasing after Jesus. They're following him. They're in all of his authority, in all of his miracles and his teaching, but they're not yet ready to submit to his authority. And then we saw the next story on. Jesus goes to Capernaum and meets a Roman centurion, someone who would have been flagged for the original readers as someone least likely to follow Jesus. And he pleads with Jesus to heal his servant. Like the crowds, he recognised Jesus' authority. But unlike the crowds, he seems to understand it, he gets it. He bows to it. He isn't just after the show. He says to Jesus, you don't even need to come. You don't need to come to my house and all the crowds come to my house and everyone observes this, nah, you don't need to do that. Just say a word and my servant will be healed. And we see Jesus marvel at this. And he says to those following on, truly I tell you, I've not found anyone in Israel with such faith. And do you notice who he was speaking to? He's speaking to those who followed him. He's teaching his followers what it means to truly follow. And he points out their enemy, a Roman officer, and says he's a good example. True followers don't chase after his miracles. They don't chase after a special experience. They follow him because he's worthy of their faith. I wonder—is that how we follow? Secondly, we can see it's possible to almost follow King Jesus by falling away when following gets hard. Verse fourteen onwards, we see Jesus healing many more that evening. The crowds keep coming again and again, but instead of receiving them, it's a bit of a shock, isn't it? We see Jesus tries to flee from the crowd. He's trying to flee from that kind of crowd—the celebrity and selfie-taking crowd. You can imagine them posting the miracle on Instagram, going, Hashtag, I was there or something like that. They weren't there for him. They were there for the, the, to be there. Verse 19, we see a scribe approach Jesus. They say, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. It's a pretty brutal response from Jesus. He says, Foxes of holes, birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. He's saying, You follow me for my miracles and my teaching, but I will be despised, I will be rejected. To follow Jesus is not a share in fame and power and comfort, at least not yet, but firstly to share in sacrifice, suffering, hostility. Jesus says that a couple of chapters later, whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. I bore the cross of God's wrath, he says, so you didn't have to. But anyone who follows me will bear a cross. So it's a allowed to be a true follower. True followers don't chase earthly comfort or reputation embrace the suffering and rejection and being united to a crucified saviour is that how we follow finally you can almost follow jesus by hearing follow me and then dragging your feet i don't know if that's you here today we see that when another disciple chapter 21 goes uh, yeah chapter 21 goes lord i'll follow you but first let me bury my father and this is when Jesus really is brutal. He seemingly really insensitively replies, No, nah, no, nah, follow me, leave the dead to bury their own dead. Look, Jesus was not insensitive about the son's loss. He's not insensitive about the pain and the loss in our lives. But, and he does not overspeak. In fact, he essentially says the same things several chapters later, but with greater clarity. He says, Everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or lambs for my name's sake will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. Following Jesus always means leaving something. You can't continue to be all you were and simply add him into our routine. But the wonderful promise is whatever we've been asked to leave behind, even the most precious relationships will pale next to what we receive now. And in Matthew 19, Jesus says, later on our thrones later, you who have followed me will sit on 12 thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel and everyone who's left me will inherit eternal life. That's what Jesus promises I wonder, is that how we follow? True followers don't just fit Jesus in around their other relationships and priorities. they make making their first love. They're making their highest priority. And we've seen his wonderful, compassionate authorities worthy of that priority. So if we're truly following Jesus, if we're not chasing miracles and spectacles and experiences, if we're instead bowing our knees in all like the and centurion, if we're responding in faith like the leper did, if we're not avoiding the cost of following Jesus, and it is a cost, but rejoicing to be rejected, opposed, afflicted with him if we're not clinging on to the loves we had before we met him, submitting every love, every desire to our first and our greatest love. That's what it looks like to follow Jesus. So as we look at the crowds here in chapter 8, in Matthew 8, as we compare them to the leper, to the centurion, we see how it's possible to almost follow Jesus, don't we? And it's possible to be coming here to town church each week and almost following Jesus. So we need to look at the leper, To heed the warning of the crowds. But let's be encouraged as we look at the disciples. They're always an encouragement to look at, aren't they? Because we see how they basically flip flop. Encouragingly, they get into the boat with Jesus, they follow him to the other side. But a few verses later, they're accused of having no faith by Jesus when Jesus gets out of the boat, when he needs to calm the storm. Peter, who we saw in our series in Acts, stumbles around, maturing slowly, following Jesus, but getting it wrong so often. What a wonderful encouragement it is to look at Peter. With his help, we can be like these examples, like the centurion, like the leper, like the disciples, full of faith, trusting the Lord Jesus, not just following him for the spectacle, not just following him when it's easy, but able to trust him when it gets hard, able to trust him and go wherever he calls and whenever he calls us, truly following him, knowing he knows best, knowing that, Anything we leave or lose behind on this earth will be prepared countless times and more in heaven to come. That is the wonderful promise of the gospel. That is Jesus. Let me pray and then we're going to sing a wonderful song. Father God, thank you for your word. Thank you for the wonderful picture the gospels paint us of what you're really like, Lord, as we see your compassion we see how unlike us you are we see your power and authority Lord help us to be people who follow you wholeheartedly to be people who don't just look in from the back like the crowds but who go no no I will follow you recognising it will cost recognising we need to give stuff up Lord help us to have faith like a leper help us to have faith like a centurion help us to trust you are who you say you are and go in fully following you We need your help to do that, Lord. Amen.